appreciate your involvement in the service this morning. Trust that the Lord used the messages in the songs and the Bible reading to bless your heart this morning. As I'm up here contemplating the people who play the piano and the organ, the musicians of the church, I really appreciate that. Doesn't, doesn't happen. I mean, you come and sit here and you think, boy, that was nice. You don't realize the amount of hours that was put into the practice and all of that and being here early and so forth. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Not only do they do that, but many of them also help teach the young people and uh, move them forward as well. When we were on vacation, we went into Heidi's church and there's Heidi sitting at the piano uh, playing. Why is she doing that? Because people in this church invested in her and gave her, helped her move along to where she could play now and minister. So exporting piano players to be a to bless other churches is really a good thing. And I appreciate the people who deal with the music, especially the, the instruments. It is a blessing to not have to be thinking about that and saying, man, I wish we had somebody to play the piano because it's just a blessing, believe me. On another note, I added another statement to my wall this week. If you've ever been in my office, any time I find a really a good saying that really moves me, I have Carol make it into a little plaque and I put it on my wall, so the wall is getting a little full now, but I read those things basically every day. But if you don't have your personal devotions uh, with the Lord every day, you are really missing out because the Lord answers many of your questions in that time, many of the things that you're dealing with. If you just spend a little time with him, he'd answer the questions you had and so I was, anyway, dealing with something in my own mind, you know, and I sat down and I was not only reading my Bible, but reading uh, a book that Daniel and I are both reading at the same time. And the quote, I'll, I'll probably slightly misquote it, but here's the quote. The hourglass is not so long that we need we're weary. The hourglass is not so long as we need weary. You say, what does that mean? It's old English means that you don't have time to get weary. Your life isn't going to last that long. The hourglass is running fast. And you say, I'm getting weary. I'm tired. Of this. You don't have time to get tired. The hourglass is not so long as you need weary. We have plenty of things to do and not a lot of time to get it done. And my old grandpa said, make hay while the sun shines. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to be busy about our father's business. Uh, because the hour of the glass is so, not so long as you need weary. Anyway, we're in Psalm chapter number 90. Several years ago, I wrote the preliminary notes for a message from 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. I've contemplated that several times over the years and added to those notes of a message that I'm working on. And this week, I had some deeper thoughts on that. And so I made some more notes and did some heavier research all the time fully expecting to preach that message this morning. And when I sat down last night to put it all on paper, get out the skeleton outline like I always do, it would not gel at all. Yeah. And so, and if you've ever been in that situation, you realize, okay, that's got to go back on the back burner and simmer for a little while. It's not quite ready yet to be served. And so you start reading and looking for, okay, Lord, where will we be today? And I was chasing another thought down when I came across this verse. It wasn't where I was going, but I came across Psalm 90. And as soon as I read it, my heart just 
warmed up. And then you know, oh, okay, this is where we're supposed to be today. Psalm chapter number 90, just the first two verses. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, and or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Title of this morning's message, Our Dwelling Place. Our Dwelling Place. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. What a privilege to be here now. Lord, we know that we have no potential. We couldn't do anything if we spent all day doing it. With all of us trying the best we knew how, we wouldn't get anywhere. But we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if your spirit would work and do what he is capable of doing using your word, all of us would move forward today in a way that we need to move forward, in a way that we have no chance to move forward in except for your spirit. So we come in full faith, the best we know how, trusting you to do the work necessary in each heart, in each life. Lord, there's no unimportant people here. There's no unimportant problems. There's no unimportant situations. There's just a bunch of needy children, all of us, coming to you to have you work. So we leave it in your capable hands and ask you to take us where we need to go in these next few moments. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who purchased all of this for us already. Amen. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. If your Bible has any notes in it, then more than likely, this psalm is subtitled at the top. It is a song of Moses. This makes it one of the oldest psalms in the book. Now, when you think of the, the first verse, when you think about that, in terms of Moses, it takes on an interesting flavor. Moses says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. This is Moses, who for the first 40 years of his life lived where? In Egypt. His, all of his family were slaves. Of course, he was living the good life, we might say, over in Pharaoh's household. But all of his family is in chains, in suffering. And Moses likes that place so well that he decides that he'd rather suffer the reproach of his people rather than staying there in Pharaoh's house. And in do, so doing, he has to flee from Egypt. So what's he do for the next 40 years? He lives in a strange land on the backside of no place, tending sheep in Midian. That's a strange country to him, with people that he doesn't actually even know, other than the, the, the family that he married into. So there he is in the middle of no place. And then what's he do? He goes back to Egypt for the next 40 years, leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and where does he spend all of his time? <laughs> Wandering, because they would not go into the promised land. He wanders around in, living in a tent for the next 40 years of his life with no permanent dwelling place. 
So a man who has no permanent dwelling place actually knows the value of one. And he says, we find our dwelling in God himself. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses says, we find our dwelling place in God. So what does he mean by that statement? What does he mean? What does it mean to have God as our dwelling place? Our forefathers used to use a statement. We hear it sometimes now. Home. Oh, home's where the heart is, one, but the other people, everybody else said the rest of it. Home, sweet home. Home, sweet home. Home, sweet home. You know what? When our forefathers used that term, home, sweet home, it didn't have anything to do with how many rooms the, the home had. It didn't have anything to do with whether it had a swimming pool or an attached garage. Whether it was a 40-room mansion or a little cottage in the woods, it meant that a man's heart was there, and he called it home, sweet home. And Moses said, these things are really found in the Lord. Your home, sweet home is really found in the Lord. So what makes it home, sweet home? Our dwelling place, what makes it that? I've got five quick things for you this morning. Number one, your home is a place of refuge. Your home is a place of refuge. Moses actually says this in Deuteronomy chapter number 37, verse number 27. He uses the exact same word, only it's translated there, refuge. It's a place of refuge. The other day we were in town. We were getting some stuff for the house, and we were getting, there's no Christmas tree here. Did you notice that? Nothing for me to break today. That is within reach, though. So it's not. We were in town getting some groceries and that kind of stuff, our weekly groceries. And the place was busy. I said to Carol, what is going on here? The place was a madhouse. And I learned later that there was a storm predicted. It didn't actually happen, but there was a storm predicted. And everybody and their brother was out there in the store. Why? Where they're thinking, there's a storm, let's go get caught in it. No, it's like, we got to get, who eats bread and who drinks milk these days? Nobody. But you got to go out and buy bread and milk. It's what you do in Iowa when there's a predicted storm. You go there and buy bread and milk. Anyway, the whole place is packed with people who are getting there because they've got to get back home before the storm. Have you ever been caught in a storm? not that much fun, to be honest with you, to get caught out in a storm. When I was in college, we used to travel back and forth quite a bit, my friend and I. You know what's funny? As a dad, you have a lot different view about traveling back and forth between college at night than you had when you were in college. <laughs> There was almost no fears when you were in college, but now when, a, when you're a dad and your kids are traveling, you're, you're counting the miles, you're thinking the hours, you're thinking about everything that go wrong between now and then. But anyway, when you're in college, you're invincible. And so we headed off, and we got it. We never looked, paid attention to the weather. We wanted to get home. And we were halfway between here and Chicago, 
and we got into a storm that was so bad. We were driving. I was in a Volkswagen Rabbit. We were in a storm. It was so bad that they pulled the snow plows off the interstate. That wouldn't have stopped us, except for the fact that we couldn't buck the drifts anymore. <laughs> and so we had to pull off. And we spent the next five or six hours sitting in a gas station, waiting for the storm to blow through so that the snow plows could get back out so we could get back out on the road. We were caught out in a storm. Now, I want you to use your brain here. I want you to put yourself into that position, okay? It shouldn't be very hard for you because how many have actually been caught in a storm like that of some variety? Okay, so it's, it, we're in your scope of knowledge here, except for the people from Georgia. They're like, what in the world are they talking about? <laughs> have you guys ever been caught in a snowstorm? You know the white stuff that comes down on the ground? Okay. <laughs> in Georgia, a snowstorm is that much snow. <laughs> we call that frost. <laughs> Put yourself in the position. You're driving down the interstate. You're, you're driving my Volkswagen Rabbit. You have to go fast enough to buck the drifts, but you're afraid you can't actually see the road. You know what I'm talking about? You can't actually, so you're trying to stay on the road without sliding off the road, get through the drifts without going into the ditch, because that's bad, okay? Think about what you feel like, okay? Can you get yourself there? You're out in this. And then, okay, it's too bad, we gotta quit. So you pull into a gas station, and then they're not the travel stops like they have today, just the old regular old gas stations, you remember those? And so you sit for five or six hours in a gas station that happens to be open 24 hours, which you're thankful for, but there's nothing there, there's no even place to sit. But you're in this gas station, you're out of storm. What does that feel like? You're like, this is absolute misery. Now. Take that same scenario, same exact storm, and put yourself sitting in your living room. The old timers used to say, snug as, snug as a bug in a rug. Look, the storm is raging outside. You don't care. You're next to the fireplace or sitting on the furnace grate, whichever you had, and you are just warm and toasty. The storm rages outside. No biggie. You're all there. There's no worries, the storm rages, no problem. Why? Because your house is a refuge. Now, Moses says, the Lord is our dwelling place. He is our refuge. Have you noticed there's a lot of storms in life? The storms blow really, really hard in this old wicked world. The storms rage, tragedy, difficulty, problems, illness, pain, suffering, and loss. These storms have raged and will continue to rage, and they hit everyone. You know what? They hit the saved and the unsaved alike, the storms of life do. You know what? Most people find themselves caught out in the middle of the storm and are devastated by them. These storms of life just knock them for six. They're knocked off because it's, wow, this is so tough. Think about sitting in the gas station. Think about driving down the road in the storm. But Moses says, you don't have to do that because the Lord is our dwelling place. He's a refuge, and we can peacefully weather the storms of life in him.
you can be peaceful. And it, in this, while the storm rages, because you are in your dwelling place. It's a place of refuge. Number two, it's a place of rest. I don't know about you, but I like to travel. I'm not really what you'd call a sightseer kind of person, but I like to travel. And it seems like these days, most of our travel is to go to see the kids and the grandkids. And so I don't know of any better sightseeing than that, is seeing the kids and the grandkids. But you've traveled enough, you know, you enjoy this and you're there. But what happens after about a week, seven, eight days, you start thinking, I'd like to be back in my own bed. This air mattress is killing me. <laughs> I'd like to be back in my own space. I'd like to be back in my own situation, in my own schedule. I'd like to get back to my own world. You understand that? Because there's no rest like you have at home. It's a place where you can just relax, and it's just that place of special, easy rest. There's no place as comfortable and restful as home. The world, my friend, is a very busy place. The world boasts all kinds of pleasures. It boasts all kinds of enjoyment. It boasts all kinds of attractions. But all of these things are actually just mere distractions. They occupy your mind and your emotions, so you're distracted from the needs that you really have. But in the Lord, there is true rest. He doesn't just preoccupy your mind so that you forget your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your distress, and all that. In Him, you actually find true rest. You find the peace that passes all understanding. You find that comfort that you need. He is your dwelling place. It's your refuge. It's your place of rest. Number three, it's your place of help. It's your place of help. You remember being a kid? Now, here's the reality. That's funny. I shouldn't even ask you that. Of course you remember being a kid. For you younger people, this will be a strange fact to you. I cannot remember what I did two days ago. But my childhood is almost crystal clear. How many have that same thing? You, you can remember being a kid, and you remember all that happened as a kid, and it's crystal clear, but yesterday, <laughs> that's a long ways back. Such a strange thing. So you remember being a kid. Now let me ask you, what did you do when you were a kid when things went wrong? What did you do? I like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it basically every year. You probably just watched it recently, too. So here's your movie trivia. When Jimmy Stewart is a little kid, has a problem, the druggist has put poison in the capsules and he doesn't know what to do about it. He sees a sign above his head. What's that sign say? Ask Dad 
He knows. Ask, and ding, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Ask dad, he knows. Everybody kid knows that. When you're in trouble when you're a kid, you know the first thing you do is you head for home. You can't figure out your math problem. You go home and ask your folks. The bike chain keeps falling off your bike. You go home and have your dad fix it. You don't feel well. You don't go to the neighbor's house. You go home. Mom will know what to do when you don't feel good. Home is where you went for help. Even when you got older, you got more self-sufficient. You were totally self-sufficient as a teenager. Remember those days? You knew everything. You didn't need your folks. But let me ask you this. When you had your accident, that first accident with your car as a teenager, who's the first person you called? <laughs> your lawyer? <laughs> your insurance agent? Your friend? Nobody. When you're in trouble, you know who to call. You call dad. Why? Because home is your first defense. Home is where you find your help. Every kid knows that. And Moses said, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses says, here's where you find your help. What's your need today? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? What question are you struggling with? What problem can't you solve? What difficulty that you have seems to have no answers? What are you facing that you don't know what to do? I'll tell you what to do. Run home. Run home. Your father has the answers. He's your dwelling place. And in him, you have the help that you need. What is there that he possibly, what problem you possibly have that he couldn't answer? He can solve everything. There's no situation that he cannot fix. He is your dwelling place, your place of refuge, your place of rest, your place of help. Number four, it's your place of love. It's your place of love. I know that in our society, this is not actually always true. We have actually entered into what Paul calls in 2 Timothy 3, the last days, perilous times, where men shall be lovers of themselves, and they'll be without natural affection. We have entered into these days, I'm afraid, and many of the homes that we deal with are not what they should be. In fact, half the kids in our country are growing up in split homes. Just, if you haven't paid any attention to this, that one fact is manifesting itself in every aspect of our society at this moment. You, everybody's wondering, what's the problem here? It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's the fact that our homes have fallen apart, and we are experiencing this on a national level, and it's a problem. God forbid any of our kids will grow up in a place without love. Our kids should know it and feel it all the time. But the reality is if you knew love anywhere, you knew it at home. That's where you find love. I love being a father. 
I'm actually finding that every age, if you've talked to me about this, I've already said this to you, every age is a great age. I loved the kids when they were little. I loved them when they were a little older. I loved them when they were in junior high and in high school. I loved them when they were in college. I loved them when they first got married. Now I love them with grandkids. It's all a great deal. I love every part of it. I really loved the kids when they were just little. I really, I probably miss that about as much as anything. I miss when they would be sitting there early in the morning reading my Bible in my chair and hear the pitter-patter of little feet as they get up. They come running across and they climb up into your lap. And they snuggle down in deep. Macy tried that the other day. It's not the same. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not the same. You're killing me, kid. Okay, I never had that when they were like that tall. You never had that. You know, I can't breathe here. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Why do they climb up like that? There's love there. I love that when you're working. And no matter how you turn, you've got to watch out to not step on the kids. And all your tools disappear. It's not that much fun at the time, but all your tools disappear because they're moving around. I once looked off the roof, and Daniel was, and the neighbor kid had my 100-foot tape, and they were wrapping it around the ball of the vehicle. They had 100 feet of, of, of measuring tape wrapped around the vehicle ball. Why were they right there underneath your feet? Because it's a place of love. It's, a, it's a, one of those solid places. They want to all be together. I loved it when they would... They're getting ready to go downstairs, and they say, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. I miss those days. If you have kids at home, enjoy them right now, because I'm just telling you, when the house gets empty, it's really quiet. It's really, really quiet. None of you are surprised at this, because you know if there's love, you're going to find it in the home. Our kids ought to know this. It's one of those things. It's the place where love is. And Moses says, Lord, thou hast been my dwelling place in all generation. In the Lord we find love. You're going to find out if you haven't yet that the world is a dark, dirty place. It's full of envy, strife, hatred, greed, anger, violence, bitterness, wrath, and selfishness. If you expect to find any love there... Prepare to be disappointed. The world will smile at you and pat you on the head until they've gotten everything they can get from you, and then they'll discard you on the trash pile. There's no love there. It shouldn't surprise you. But there is a place where love is easily found. It is freely expressed and freely given. It is demonstrated in a thousand different ways every day. It's proven beyond any question. It has no ulterior motives. It isn't trying to get anything out of you. It's open. It's obvious. And it's so deep that you never reach the end of it. It is the love that the Lord has for you. He is our dwelling place. And that place is filled with love. Why would you keep searching in places where love is so scarce that it can't be, it's impossible to find it there? When in the Lord you have more love than you could handle. It's freely found in Him. It is a place of refuge. It's a place of rest. It's a place of help. It's a place of love. Number five, it's a permanent place. 
it's a permanent place. When I was growing up in the most formidable period of my life, we did quite a bit of moving. Seemed like I went to three, sorry, I went to four different schools in three years. Fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, the transitional years of my life, I went to four different schools in that time frame. Not an easy thing. We moved, so I've lived in, I lived in Pella, then we lived in South Carolina, then we South, southeastern Iowa, then we moved here, which is fairly typical. That's not an unusual amount of times for a kid to move. That's fairly typical. On the other hand, my kids grew up in the same place. We built our house in 1993. Heidi was born in 94. I got the nod. I got that right. Yay. If she's watching the live stream, I <laughs> passed the class. Um, Heidi was born in 94. All the kids, we're still living at the same place. All the kids went to this, lived in the same house and went to the same school, the academy, their entire life. This is not typical, but it is what happened to them. So you, you have these moving things and you have these non-moving, okay? But guess what? They all move now. They all moved. Well, Macy's there every now and then. She comes home about every three months to eat all my ice cream bars and drink my Coke. But other than that, <laughs> they all live in a different place. Does this surprise you? No. Parenting tip number one. Your job as a parent is to not to make your kids have a wonderful time and enjoy themselves. A lot of parents have been doing that and they got a problem with their kids. Your job as a parent is to prepare them for the inevitable, which is to leave the house. They have got to have wings that they can fly away, okay? And you've got to help them get ready for that. That's your job as a parent, so that they can leave the house and become solid. You know, it's a really wicked world, isn't it? It's a very difficult place. And they've got to be reasonable, responsible, solid Christians that can go out and survive in that world. That's your job. Now, making it enjoyable along the way is a good thing to do, for sure. But your job is to raise them to leave the nest. Keep that in mind all the time. You've got to raise them to leave the nest. So no matter how permanent the house seems, when they get to a certain age, they're gone. They're out the door. But what does Moses say here on this particular deal? Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. The dwelling place in the Lord is actually permanent. It's actually permanent. Not only can you live there now, but you just go on living there for all eternity. There's no change of address form that you're going to have to fill out. There's no leaving the nest. He is your permanent, unchanging dwelling. At this moment, the future of our country is kind of uncertain. At this moment, the future of the world is not uncertain. It's certain. 
It's going to burn up. You know that, right? It's going to burn up with a fervent heat. So the future of this world is not uncertain. We know what's going to happen. Is that a big deal? If Christ is your dwelling place, then the world is not your home. He is. What does it matter if this place burns up? It's not your home. This world isn't your home. Christ is your dwelling place. And that, my friend, is home sweet home. It is a place of refuge. It is a place of rest. It is a place of help. It's a place of love. And that place is permanent. The Lord is our dwelling place. Let's pray.